International Short Stories, Volume 2, English Stories. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edward Kirkby. International Short Stories, Volume 2, English Stories. Edited by William Patton. Section 11. The Knightsbridge Mystery by Charles Reed. Part 1. In Charles the Second's day, the Swan was denounced by the dramatists as a house where unfaithful wives and mistresses met their gallants. But in the next century, when John Clark was the freeholder, no special imputation of that sort rested on it. It was a country inn with large stables, horsed the Brentford coach, and entertained man and beast on journeys long or short. It had also permanent visitors, especially in summer for it was near London, and yet a rural retreat, meadows on each side, Hyde Park at back, Knightsbridge Green in front. Amongst the permanent lodgers was Mr. Gardiner, a substantial man, and Captain Cowan, a retired officer of moderate means, had lately taken two rooms for himself and his son. Mr. Gardiner often joined the company in the public room, but the Cowans kept to themselves upstairs. This was soon noticed, and resented, in that age of few books and free converse. Some said, Oh, we are not good enough for him. Others inquired what a half-pay captain had to give himself airs about. Candor interposed, and supplied the climax. Nay, my masters, the captain may be in hiding from duns, or from the runners. Now I think on it, the York mail was robbed, scarce a night before his worship came a-hiding here. But the landlady's tongue ran the other way. Her weight was sixteen stone, her sentiments were her interests, and her tongue her tomahawk. "'Tis pity,' said she one day, "'some folk can't keep their tongues from blackening of their betters. The captain is a civil-spoken gentleman. Lord send there were more of them in these parts, as takes his hat off to me whenever he meets me, and pays his reckoning weekly. If he has a mind to be private, what business is that of yours or ours?' but curs must bark at their betters. Detraction, thus roughly quelled for certain seconds, revived at intervals whenever Dame Gust's broad back was turned. It was mildly encountered one evening by Gardiner. Nay, good sirs, said he, you mistake the worthy captain. To have fought at Blenheim and Malpaquet, no man has less vanity. Tis for his son he holds aloof. He guards the youth like a mother, and will not have him to hear our taproom jests. He worships the boy, a sullen lout, sirs, but parental love is blind. He told me once he had loved his wife dearly, and lost her young, and this was all he had of her, and, said he, I'd spill blood like water for him, my own the first. Then, sir, says I, I fear he will give you a sore heart one day. And welcome, says my captain and his face like iron. Somebody remarked that no man keeps out of company who is good company, but Mr. Gardner parried that dogma. When young master is abed, my neighbour does sometimes invite me to share a bottle, and a sprightlier companion I would not desire. Such stories of battles and duels and love intrigues. Now there's an old fox for you, said one approvingly. It reconciled him to the captain's decency to find that it was only hypocrisy. I like not a man who wears a mask. He coughed, a hitherto silent personage, 
revealing his clandestine drunkenness and unsuspected wisdom at one blow these various theories were still fermenting in the bosom of the swan when one day there rode up to the door a gorgeous officer hot from the minister's leave in scarlet and gold with an order like a starfish glittering on his breast his servant a private soldier rode behind him and slipping hastily from his saddle held his master's horse while he dismounted just then captain cowan came out for his afternoon walk he started and cried out colonel barrington ah brother cried the other and instantly the two officers embraced and even kissed each other for that feminine custom had not yet retired across the channel and these were soldiers who had fought and bled side by side and nursed each other in turn and your true soldier does not nurse by halves his vigilance and tenderness are an example to women and he rustleth not captain cowan invited colonel barrington to his room and that warrior marched down the passage after him single file with long brass spurs and sabre clinking at his heels and the establishment ducked and smiled and respected captain cowan for the reason we admire the moon seated in cowan's room the newcomer said heartily well ned i come not empty-handed here is thy pension at last and handed him a parchment with a seal like a poached egg cowan changed colour and thanked him with an emotion he rarely betrayed and gloated over the precious document his cast-iron features relaxed and he said it comes in the nick of time for now i can send my dear jack to college this led somehow to an exposure of his affairs he had just a hundred and ten pounds a year derived from the sale of his commission which he had invested at fifteen per cent with a well-known mercantile house in the city so now said he I shall divide it all in three jack will want two parts to live at oxford and i can do well enough here on one the rest of the conversation does not matter so i dismiss it and colonel barrington for the time a few days afterward jack went to college and captain cowan reduced his expenses and dined at the shilling ordinary and indeed took all his moderate repasts in public instead of the severe and reserved character he had worn while his son was with him he now shone out a boon companion and sometimes kept the table in roar with his marvellous mimicries of all the characters male or female that lived in the inn or frequented it and sometimes held them breathless with adventures dangers intrigues in which a leading part had been played by himself or his friends he became quite a popular character except with one or two envious bodies whom he eclipsed they revenged themselves by saying it was all braggadocio his battles had been fought over a bottle and by the fireside the district east and west of knightsbridge had long been infested with footpads they robbed passengers in the country lanes which then abounded and sometimes on the king's highway from which those lanes offered an easy escape one moonlit night captain cowan was returning home alone from an entertainment at fulham when suddenly the air seemed to fill with a woman's screams and cries they issued from a lane on his right hand he whipped out his sword and dashed down the lane it took a sudden turn and in a moment he came upon three footpads robbing and maltreating an old gentleman and his wife the old man's sword lay at a distance struck from his feeble hand the woman's tongue proved the better weapon for at least it brought an ally the nearest robber seeing the captain come at him with his drawn sword glittering in the moonshine fired hastily and grazed his cheek and was skewered like a frog the next moment 
his cry of agony mingled with two shouts of dismay and the other footpads fled but even as they turned captain cowan's nimble blade entered the shoulder of one and pierced the fleshy part he escaped however but howling and bleeding captain cowan handed over the lady and the gentleman to the people who flocked to the place now the work was done and the disabled robber to the guardians of the public peace who arrived last of all he himself withdrew apart and wiped his sword very carefully and minutely with a white pocket-handkerchief and then retired he was so far from parading his exploit that he went round by the park and let himself into the swan with his private key and was going quietly to bed when the chambermaid met him and up flew her arms with cries of dismay oh captain oh captain look at you smothered in blood i shall faint tush silly wench said captain cowan i am not hurt not hurt sir and bleeding like a pig your cheek your poor cheek captain cowan put up his hand and found that blood was really welling from his cheek and ear he looked grave for a moment then assured her it was but a scratch and offered to convince her of that bring me some lukewarm water and thou shalt be my doctor but barbara prithee publish it not next morning an officer of justice inquired after him at the swan and demanded his attendance at bow street at two that afternoon to give evidence against the footpads this was the very thing he wished to avoid but there was no evading the summons the officer was invited into the bar by the landlady and sang the gallant captain's exploit with his own variations the inn began to ring with cowan's praises indeed there was now but one detractor left the hostler daniel cox a drunken fellow of sinister aspect who had for some time stared and lowered at captain cowan and muttered mysterious things doubts as to his being a real captain etc which incoherent murmurs of a muddled-headed drunkard were not treated as oracular by any human creature though the stable boy once went so far as to say i sometimes almost thinks as how our dan do know summat only he don't rightly know what tis along o being always muddled in liquor cowan who seemed to notice little but noticed everything had observed the lowering looks of this fellow and felt he had an enemy it even made him a little uneasy though he was too proud and self-possessed to show it with this exception then everybody greeted him with hearty compliments and he was cheered out of the inn marching to bow street daniel cox who as accidents will happen was sober that morning saw him out and then put on his own coat take thou charge of the stable sam said he why where's best going at this time of day i be going to bow street said daniel doggedly at bow street captain cowan was received with great respect and a seat given him by the sitting magistrate while some minor cases were disposed of in due course the highway robbery was called and proved by the parties who unluckily for the accused had been actually robbed before cowan interfered then the oath was tendered to cowan he stood up by the magistrate's side and deposed with military brevity and exactness to the facts i have related but refused to swear to the identity of the individual culprit who stood pale and trembling at the dock the attorney for the crown after pressing in vain said quite right captain cowan a witness cannot be too scrupulous he then called an officer who had found the robber leaning against a railing fainting from loss of blood scarce a furlong from the scene of the robbery and wounded in the shoulder that let in captain cowan's evidence 
and the culprit was committed for trial and soon after peached upon his only comrade at large the other lay in hospital at newgate the magistrate complimented captain cowan on his conduct and his evidence and he went away universally admired yet he was not elated nor indeed content sitting by the magistrate's side after he had given his evidence he happened to look all round the court and in a distant corner he saw the enormous mottled nose and sinister eyes of daniel cox glaring at him with a strange but puzzled expression cowan had learned to read faces and he said to himself what is there in that ruffian's mind about me did he know me years ago i cannot remember him curse the beast one would almost think he is cudgelling his drunken memory i'll keep an eye on you he went home thoughtful and discomposed because this drunkard glowered at him so the reception he met with at the swan effaced the impression he was received with acclamations and now that publicity was forced on him he accepted it and reveled in popularity about this time he received a letter from his son enclosing a notice from the college tutor speaking highly of his ability good conduct devotion to study this made the father swell with loving pride jack hinted modestly that there were unavoidable expenses and his funds were dwindling he enclosed an account that showed how the money went the father wrote back and bade him be easy he should have every farthing required and speedily for said he my half year's interest is due now two days after he had a letter from his man of business begging him to call he went with alacrity making sure his money was waiting for him as usual his lawyer received him very gravely and begged him to be seated he then broke to him some appalling news the great house of brown molyneux and co had suspended payments at noon the day before and were not expecting to pay a shilling in the pound captain cow's little fortune was gone all but his pension of eight pounds a year he sat like a man turned to stone then he clasped his hands with agony and uttered two words no more my son he rose and left the place like one in a dream he got down to knightsbridge he hardly knew how at the very door of the inn he fell down in a fit the people of the inn were round him in a moment and restoratives freely supplied his sturdy nature soon revived but with a moral and physical shock his lips were slightly distorted over his clenched teeth his face too was ashy pale when he came to himself the first face he noticed was that of daniel cox eyeing him not with pity but with puzzled curiosity cowan shuddered and closed his own eyes to avoid this blighting glare then without opening them he muttered what has befallen me i feel no wound laws forbid sir said the landlady leaning over him your honour did not swoon for once to show you was born of a woman and not made of naught but steel here you gaping loons and sluts help the captain to his room amongst ye and then go about your business this order was promptly executed so far as assisting captain cowan to rise but he was no sooner on his feet than he waved them all from him hoitily and said let me be it is the mind it is the mind and he smote his forehead in despair for now it all came back on him then he rushed into the inn and locked himself into his room female curiosity buzzed about the doors but was not admitted until he had recovered his fortitude and formed a bitter resolution to defend himself and his son against all mankind at last there came a timid tap 
and a mellow voice said tis only me captain prithee let me in he opened to her and there was barbara with a large tray and a snow-white cloth she spread a table deftly and uncovered a roast capon and uncorked a bottle of white port talking all the time the mistress says you must eat a bit and drink this good wine for her sake indeed sir twill do you good after your swoon with many such encouraging words she got him to sit down and eat and then filled his glass and put it to his lips he could not eat much but he drank the white port a wine much prized and purer than the purple vintage of our day at last came barbara's post diet but alack to think of your fainting dead away o oh, captain what is the trouble the tear was in barbara's eye though she was the emissary of dame cust's curiosity and all curiosity herself captain cowan who had been expecting this question for some time replied doggedly i have lost the best friend i had in the world dear heart said barbara and a big tear of sympathy that had been gathering ever since she entered the room rolled down her cheeks she put up a corner of her apron to her eyes alas poor soul she said ah i do know how hard it is to love and lose but bethink you sir tis the lot of man our own turn must come and you have your son left to thank god for and a warm friend or two in this place though they be but humble ah good wench said the soldier his iron nature touched for a moment by her goodness and simplicity and none i value more than thee but leave me a while the young woman's honest cheeks reddened at the praise of such a man your will's my pleasure sir she said and retired leaving the capon and the wine any little compunction he might have at refusing his confidence to this humble friend did not trouble him long he looked on women as leaky vessels and he had firmly resolved not to make his situation worse by telling the base world that he was poor many a hard rub had put a fine point on this man of steel he closed the matter too in his own mind i told her no lie i have lost my best friend for i have lost my money from that day captain cowan visited the tap-room no more and indeed seldom went out by daylight he was all alone now for mr gardiner was gone to wiltshire to collect his rents in his solitary chamber cowan ruminated his loss and the villainy of mankind and his busy brain revolved scheme after scheme to repair the impending ruin of his son's prospects it was there the iron entered his soul the example of the very footpads he had baffled occurred to him in his more desperate moments but he fought the temptation down and in due course one of them was transported and one hung the other languished in newgate by and by he began to be mysteriously busy and the door always locked no clue was ever found to his labours but bits of melted wax in the fender and a tuft or two of grey hair and it was never discovered in knightsbridge that he often begged in the city at dusk in a disguise so perfect that a frequenter of the swan once gave him a groat thus did he levy his tax upon the stony place that had undone him instead of taking his afternoon walk as heretofore he would sit disconsolate on the seat of a staircase window that looked into the yard and so took the air and sun and it was owing to this new habit he overheard one day a dialogue in which the foggy voice of the hostler predominated at first he was running down captain cohen to a potboy the potboy stood up for him 
that annoyed cox he spoke louder and louder the more he was opposed till at last he bawled out i tell ye i've seen him sitting by the judge and i've seen him in the dock at these words captain cowen recoiled though he was already out of sight and his eye glittered like a basilisk's but immediately a new voice broke upon the scene a woman's thou foul-mouthed knave is it for thee to slander men of worship and give the inn a bad name remember i have but to lift my finger to hang thee so drive me not to it begone to thy horses this moment thou art not fit to be among christians begone i say or it shall be the worse for thee and she drove him across the yard and followed him up with a current of invectives eloquent even at a distance though the words were no longer distinct and who should this be but the housemaid barbara lamb so gentle mellow and melodious before the gentlefolk and especially her hero captain cowan as for daniel cox he cowered writhed and wriggled away before her and slipped into the stable captain cowan was now soured by trouble and this persistent enmity of that fellow roused at last a fixed and deadly hatred in his mind all the more intense that fear mingled with it he sounded barbara asked her what nonsense that ruffian had been talking and what he had done that she could hang him for but barbara would not say a malicious word against a fellow-servant in cold blood i can keep a secret said she if he keeps his tongue off you i'll keep mine so be it said cowan then i warn you i am sick of his insolence and drunkards must be taught not to make enemies of sober men nor fools of wise men he said this so bitterly that to soothe him she begged him not to trouble about the ravings of a sot dear heart said she nobody heeds dan cox some days afterward she told him that dan had been drinking harder than ever and wouldn't trouble honest folk long for he had the delusions that go before a drunkard's end why he had told the stable boy he had seen a vision of himself climb over the garden wall and enter the house by the back door the poor wretch says he knew himself by his bottle nose and his cowskin waistcoat and to be sure there is no such nose in the parish thank heaven for it and not many such waistcoats she laughed heartily but cowan's lip curled in a venomous sneer he said more likely twas the knave himself look to your spoons if such a face as that walks by night barbara turned grave directly he eyed her askant and saw the random shot had gone home captain cowan now often slept in the city alleging business mr gardiner wrote from salisbury ordering his room to be ready and his sheets well aired one afternoon he returned with a bag and a small valise prodigiously heavy he had a fire lighted though it was fine autumn for he was chilled with his journey and invited captain cowan to sup with him the latter consented but begged it might be an early supper as he must sleep in the city i'm sorry for that said gardiner i have a hundred and eighty guineas there in that bag and a man could get into my room from yours not if you lock the middle door said cowan but i can leave you the key of my outer door for that matter this offer was accepted but still mr gardiner felt uneasy there had been several robberies at inns and it was a rainy gusty night he was depressed and ill at ease then captain cowan offered him his pistols and helped him load them two bullets in each he also went and fetched him a bottle of the best port and after drinking one glass with him hurried away and left his key with him for further security 
Mr. Gardiner, left to himself, made up a great fire, and took a glass or two of the wine. It seemed remarkably heady, and raised his spirits. After all, it was only for one night. Tomorrow he would deposit his gold in the bank. He began to unpack his things, and put his nightdress to the fire. But by and by he felt so drowsy, that he did but take his coat off, put his pistols under the pillow, and lay down on the bed, and fell fast asleep. That night Barbara Lamb awoke twice, thinking each time she heard doors open and shut on the floor below her. But it was a gusty night, and she concluded it was most likely the wind. Still, a residue of uneasiness made her rise at five instead of six, and she lighted her tinder and came down with a rushlight. She found Captain Cowan's door wide open. It had been locked when she went to bed. That alarmed her greatly. She looked in. A glance was enough. She cried, Thieves! Thieves! and in a moment uttered scream upon scream. In an incredibly short time pale and eager faces of men and women filled the passage. Cowan's room, being open, was entered first. On the floor lay what Barbara had seen at a glance, his portmanteau rifled, and the clothes scattered about. The door of communication was ajar. They opened it, and an appalling sight met their eyes. Mr. Gardiner was lying in a pool of blood and moaning feebly. There was little hope of saving him. No human body could long survive such a loss of the vital fluid. But it so happened there was a country surgeon in the house. He stanched the wounds. There were three, and somebody or other had the sense to beg the victim to make a statement. He was unable at first, but under powerful stimulants, revived at last, and showed a strong wish to aid justice in avenging him. By this time they had got a magistrate to attend, and he put his ear to the dying man's lips, but others heard, so hushed was the room, and so keen the awe and curiosity of each panting heart. I had gold in my portmanteau, and was afraid. I drank a bottle of wine with Captain Cowan, and he left me. He lent me his key and his pistols. I locked both doors. I felt very sleepy, and lay down. When I woke, a man was leaning over my portmanteau. His back was toward me. I took a pistol, and aimed steadily. It missed fire. The man turned and sprang on me. I had caught up a knife, one we had for supper. I stabbed him with all my force. He wrested it from me, and I felt piercing blows. I am slain. Ah, I am slain. But the man, sir, did you not see his face at all? Not till he fell on me. But then, very plainly, the moon shone. Pray describe him. Broken hat. Yes. Hairy waistcoat. Yes. Enormous nose. Do you know him? Ah, the hostler Cox. There was a groan of horror and a cry for vengeance. Silence, said the magistrate. Mr. Gardiner, you are a dying man. Words may kill. Be careful. Have you any doubts? About what? That the villain was Daniel Cox? None whatever. At these words the men and women who were glaring with pale faces, and all their senses strained at the dying man and his faint yet terrible denunciation, broke into two bands. Some remained rooted to the place, the rest hurried with the cries of vengeance in search of Daniel Cox. They were met in the yard by two constables, and rushed first to the stables, not that they hoped to find him there, of course he had absconded with his booty, the stable door was ajar, they tore it open. The grey dawn revealed Cox, fast asleep on the straw in the first empty stall, 
and his bottle in the manger. His clothes were bloody, and the man was drunk. They pulled him, cursed him, struck him, and would have torn him in pieces, but the constables interfered, set him up against the rail, like timber, and searched his bosom, and found a wound, then turned all his pockets inside out, amidst great expectation, and found three halfpence, and the key of the stable door. End of section 11. Recording by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England.